Amen. Guys, I don't get uh, I don't get many opportunities if I'm if I'm a little loud. Babe, take care of me. We got a new we got a new sound gal in the back. Melanie's helping us out. But I don't get to say this very often in front of everybody. But I am so thankful for these guys standing here behind me. They do an awesome job, don't they? I tell people I tell people all the time. They make me look so good. They are so talented. I'm so thankful for all of them. If you were here last week, um, you saw everything go wrong for the first and second song. We had half of the instruments went out without warning. Um, and I, I was actually able to like leave the stage and fix some things. I was comfortable enough. And that's because they are so awesome. I, and I tell them that I love them so much and I couldn't do it without them. I wanted y'all to know that they are awesome and them to hear y'all, y'all's thanks for sure. Absolutely. But I'd, I'd like to welcome you once again to Greenbrier Nazarene this morning. I am excited you are here. I'm excited to be speaking with you. If you're new with us, or, or if this is your first Sunday, or maybe I've just never introduced myself to you, my name is Hunter Thrasher, and I'm the creative arts pastor here. And I am, I am so glad, I'm so excited for what God has for us, has in store for us th- uh, this morning. Um, I did feel a little lonely up here in the early service. Uh, Pastor Steve, my dad, has been on vacation um, for the last week. So I recruited some help this morning with Hayden. It's been Carla and I in the office for a week. It's just been us. Daniel's been in Phoenix, Arizona at NYC. I told Dad that when he got back, I would have the entire church repainted and the floors begin, begun to be ripped up. Um, and he said, don't do that. And so as you see, I did it. <laughs> he came back this morning. Everything was still in one piece, but it's, it's, been, it's been a fun week uh, for sure, just me and Carla holding down the fort. But we are here in the middle of July at Greenbrier Nazarene, right here in the middle of the summer, and we have had such a busy summer. A- about a month ago, we hosted district assembly here at the church. We're about 500 Nazarenes from all over North Arkansas came, um, and we worshiped together, and we held our district assemblies, and that was exciting. A few weeks ago, our kids and our students went off to kids camp, and then two weekends ago, um, all of the teenagers from the North Arkansas district came, and we hosted their, um, their district student camp. It was a mission camp, which helped serve the Faulkner County area, so we had all these students come in, and they partnered with the Conway Ministry Center and Soul Food Cafe to help minister to Faulkner County, and we were so thankful we got to host them. They did some service projects here, um, and that, that goes in just to everything that we've been doing this summer. Here in a couple weeks, also, we're going to be having VBS, so uh, make sure to get a hold of, of Amanda Odom if you would like to help her out with that. They are looking for volunteers, um, so make sure to get in touch with them. That's coming up in just a couple weeks, and that's going to be exciting. But through all of these activities, all that we've been doing, we've been spending most of our Wednesday nights, as you know, with our hands and feet in the heat, summer of service projects. We have delivered meals to some of those in our church who don't get out easily. We packed 200 uh, snack grab bags for the Conway Ministry Center and delivered them, uh, which I don't know if y'all heard, but with with the camp that came in the weekend after we did that, we delivered over 800 of those to the Conway Ministry Center. Um, And that was you guys. That was awesome. And so we are so proud. Um, And we've also been able to, this past Wednesday night, we had a Love Your Neighbor Night. Um, which was one of my favorite ones because we encouraged all of you to go into your communities, the places where you are located, the places where you live, and minister to those who live around you, whether that was through um, feeding them or just hosting them. I saw some pictures on Facebook. It looked like the Aubergs were having a good time at, at their house. Um, and we had some people over as well. And that was, one, that was one of my favorite nights that we've done so far. But there's still so much to do. In two weeks, we're going to be packing 
Operation Christmas Child boxes there in the back. You don't want to miss out on that. And we've got a lot more events coming up. We've got a cookout for our city workers and volunteers coming up, and then VBS as well. So, so keep on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram. Keep posted, and don't miss out on any of those awesome things. But I love these events that we do during the summer, and, and, it, and it ties into what I'm speaking today because I think that those events give us a glimpse of what it means, who we are truly called to be as Christians, as followers of Christ. These service events that, that we offer throughout the summer and all the events, it, it comes together so that you can know what it truly means to be a Christian. And that's what I'm going to be speaking to you about this morning, this call that we have to serve and to love on the community of Greenbrier that we've been placed in. Or if you live in Guy, the community of Guy. Or if you live in Conway, the the call that we have to serve the town and to serve the city that we live in. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles there this morning. And we are going to find here in 1 Peter that we have a biblical mandate to serve others. We have a biblical mandate to be the presence of Christ in our community. And we're also going to find that it is the goal and it is the reason and it is the purpose of our salvation to carry that out. Now we're going to be looking looking at a lot of scripture, so when you pass Matthew 25, as you're going to 1 Peter, stick your thumb in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be coming to that here um, in just a minute. Now, back in April, in the first part of May, if you were here um, for our adult Bible studies, um, I, I, we, were, we held a six-week Bible study on what it means to be the hospitable and welcoming people of God. We called it Welcome Home. And I was able to, to preach and teach that Bible study. Uh, we had an awesome time. Um, I felt really good at the end of it because there was sustained attendance all the way through. So usually, like, you get through a Bible study, and like week three, people start disappearing, and you know, okay, well, that, that wasn't... But we had sustained attendance. We had as many there the last Last night as we did the first, I was feeling pretty good. Um, so, but we went through this passage of 1 Peter chapter 4 in that Bible study. I think it was in, in week 3. And I felt like, like when we got done with it, that was just there was a lot more to uncover there. So we're going to be going back to it today. We're going to be revisiting to look at what this passage can truly mean for us as the church in the 21st century. I think that this passage we're about to read gives us a perfect definition, a perfect example of what salvation is and how it truly transforms us. Uh, Why don't you stand together with me this morning as we read this passage from 1 Peter. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and it will be on the screens. Therefore, Peter says, since Christ suffered as a human, you should also arm yourselves with this way of thinking. This is because whoever suffers is finished with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their human lives in ways determined by human desires, but in ways determined by God's will. Verse 3. You've wasted enough time doing what unbelievers desire, living in their unrestrained immorality and lust, their drunkenness and their excessive feasting and wild parties, and their forbidden worship of idols. They think it's strange that you don't join in these activities with the same flood of unrestrained wickedness, so they slander you. Let's skip down to verse 7. The end of everything is near, Peter tells us. Therefore, be self-controlled and clear-headed so that you can pray. Above all, show sincere love to each other, because love brings about the forgiveness of many sins. Open your homes to each other without complaining and serve each other according to the gift each person has received as good managers of God's diverse gifts. 
Whoever speaks should do so as those who speak God's word. Whoever serves should do so from the strength that God furnishes. Do this so that in everything God may be honored through Jesus Christ. To him be the honor and the power forever and always. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, as we open your word here from Peter and, and, and hear, from, hear from you, Jesus, here in just a minute, God, um, we pray that you will, you will just open our lives up to what this means, God. As we examine um, what salvation truly is this morning, God, I pray that you will reignite that transformation in us, God, that you will reignite this love for our neighbor, this love for those around us, this love for our community. God, we just pray this morning that, that we will leave this place a, a Holy Spirit-filled force to be reckoned with. Uh, with your love in the community of Greenbrier or wherever we may go, God. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, before we dive completely into this passage and what it can mean for us um, as the 21st century church, I think it's vital to understand the context that, this, that Peter is speaking into in this chapter, um, the church that he is speaking to. And if you're here in this Bible study, this is going to sound um, just a little bit familiar uh, because we're diving into what, who, who he is talking to here. But Peter, or a lot of people know him as St. As Peter, is one of the most the best, maybe, maybe the best, the coolest, maybe the coolest, but definitely the most well-known of the 12 disciples. He was the one that walked on water, um, and he was, the, he was actually the leader, the first leader of the church. The Catholic Church recognizes him as the first pope. And so he was the first leader of the church. So, so we should take his words very seriously here in First and Second Peter. And he's speaking to an early church, a first century church here that has faced daily with persecution and suffering. This is their daily life. Every day they walk out into a world that despises them because of the transformation that they've received. And throughout First and Second Peter, he focuses a lot of his energy, a lot of his time, and a lot of his writing into this topic of suffering and persecution. And because of that, in fact... This, these two books of the Bible can many times be overlooked by the church of, the, of today because of that emphasis on suffering as Christ did. And, and to be honest, a lot of the time we really just don't know what to do with that as the 21st century church. When someone tells us to, to suffer as Christ did, um, we may not know what that means or what that looks like here. So a lot of the time, these two books of the Bible are overlooked. But here in, in the midst of this letter that Peter has written to the first century church that is focused around suffering and is focused on persecution, Peter adds in this small but very significant section here in chapter 4 on hospitality and service. And it's as if he's, he's saying to the early church, there, and, and he can, it, there's evidence to say that he distributed this out kind of all over the land, that this letter went out to multiple churches, not just one or two, but, but maybe he distributed it to, to all kinds of different areas. And what he's telling them is he's saying, you know what, guys? I know things are bad. I know that you wake up every morning and you, and you are in a world that despises you because of what Christ has done in, in your life, and that, that I know things are getting worse and worse by the day, it may seem, but remember who you are called to be. I almost just fell. I literally just almost fell down. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, just had to, just had to let y'all know, but... Okay. <laughs> Going to take a breath. All right. We're going we're gonna to start, we're going to go right here. But remember what you are called to be, is what Peter said. 
And this passage of scripture here is set up almost like a compare and contrast like between these two paragraphs there in Scripture. This first paragraph that we look at, verses 1 through, one through 4, 1 through 5, um, it, it's a clear recognition of that persecution that the church is facing, and it's an explanation of why they are being ridiculed. They are suffering because they have been transformed. They have been cleansed of the sin and, and the desires of the flesh. God has transformed them, and because of that, they no longer partake in those things that Peter lists there. And they have turned from their ways from the past. And Peter says that the world will notice that you are different from where, who you once were, that you no longer do things. They will take note, and they will ridicule you because of that. And then we come to verse 7. We come to the second paragraph here in this passage of Scripture. And starting there in verse 7, Peter lines out the things that they are to add. So you've been transformed, so you take away these things, but you add these things. You are to love and to serve. You are to be hospitable to each other, to those around you. This is a clear from Peter here. This is who you are. You've, you, this is who you were. You've been transformed, and this is who you are now because of that transformation. And this here, my friends, found in 1 Peter chapter 4, is the definition of salvation. This is who you were. This is the transformation that you have experienced, and this is who you are now. Now, I've heard a, a lot of sermons in my years, like a lot in my short time here on this earth. I was, trying to, I was trying to figure out if I could do the math, and the math came out to a lot of sermons that I've heard preached. I've been to camps, I've been to retreats, it feels like I've been to a few hundred revivals, and it feels like I've heard more altar call and salvation messages than I could ever count on all my fingers and on my toes if I had ten fingers and ten, sir, and ten, to, and, well, ten hands and ten feet. Sorry, there we go. That's okay, that's all right. And, but so often when I hear speakers and preachers give a salvation altar call message, they stop after this first paragraph here in 1 Peter chapter 4. I mean, I mean, when we talk about the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, what do we say that he did? That he died for our sins. Good job. All right, y'all are good. Yeah, all right, I'm liking it. And that's true. It's true that Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. But I think that what Peter is telling the church here is that that transformation, that transformation, his death for our sins, his death for our lives, doesn't stop at that reversing and repenting from those things. Now, it might start with that. That's definitely how it starts. It starts with us realizing that the things that we are doing are hurtful to ourselves, or they're hurtful to others, or that we're acting out of a place of selfishness. But our salvation from those transgressions are for a purpose. Here in this passage, Peter is telling us in verses 7 through 11, get this, that we are saved to serve. That we are saved to serve. And this morning we're going to think about what that means for us to be saved. Us to be, us to be taken, up, totally transformed, all that sin, all those, all those fleshly desires cleansed from our bodies so that we can be able to serve God more fully. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Peter is saying that when we accept the glorious gift of salvation, it isn't for us. We don't accept the salvation for ourselves but instead, it is to allow us to jump into the things like what we've done this summer with both feet and with both hands. 
It's getting rid of that selfishness. It's getting rid of the things that, that may be holding us back, that, that's getting in the way of us truly living out what it means to be a Christian. And we get rid of those things so that we can fill our lives and we can fill our hearts with love for each other. I, I like to think of it as, as making room. We, we get rid of the sin, we get all of these things so we can fill it with something else, and that is love for our neighbor, neighbor, so that we can be hospitable to those around us, so we can serve each other and we can serve our communities. Now, I, I do want to be clear here before I go on too far, because what I'm, what I'm not saying this morning is that we can go ahead and we can do whatever we want, and we can, we can fall into whatever temptations or we can fall into whatever desires that, that our, our body feels. And we can do any of those things as long as we are serving others. That, that's not what I'm saying this morning. And, and Peter's not saying that either. It, he highlights this in verse 7. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and clear-headed so that you can pray. Which means exactly what, what we've been saying. It's the absence of that sin that allows us to fully commit ourselves to Christ and to service. Now, let's, let's turn there to Matthew chapter 25. And I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this passage of scripture that we're going to be reading. Um, it starts in verse 31. This is the, the parable or the prophecy of the sheep and the goats. And here, Jesus lays out what we're talking about this morning clearly for us. He is showing us here in this passage that salvation is not necessarily about what we don't do, but he tells us that we will be judged on what we do do. All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about what you don't do, it's about what you do do. And I want everybody to say it, come on. <laughs> the goal of this sermon is to make you guys say that. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's look at this passage of scripture here, verses 31 uh, through the end of the chapter. And this is Jesus, this is Christ talking, which means we should pay um, special importance to what he's saying right here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Verse 40. Truly I tell you, Christ says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Verse 45. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that we are saved to serve. This parable, this prophecy of the sheep and the goats tells us that our lives in the end, on when, when judgment day finally comes, we will not only be evaluated, we will not be judged by what we haven't done, 
but what we then went out and did for others. The gospel message, what Jesus came and what, what he lived for and what he died for and what he was, was resurrected for, our salvation lies in service to those around us. Like Jesus says, for the hungry, we give them something to eat. To the thirsty, we give them something to drink. As the church, for the stranger, we show them hospitality. For those naked, we clothe them. For those sick and in prison, we look after them and we visit them. And I know a lot of the time we can read the Bible, and especially when, if we read Old Testament passages, and, and we can start reading some of those laws that are in the Old Testament, and we think, man, I just really don't, I don't think I can follow them. Those seem, those seem like they were written 2,000 years ago or more, like a long, long time ago, because these really don't relate to me at all in, in the 21st century, as a 21st century um, American. And we, we can read scripture sometimes, and we can think, man, I, I don't know if that relates to me um, as I'm living my life today. But let me tell you something this morning. With this passage of scripture, if you call yourself a child of God, this is a clear and obvious commandment of what we are be doing. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it here with Jesus. It's very clear. The sheep are on my right and the goats are on my left and one will have eternal reward and one will have eternal punishment. And the only distinction is for what they did for Christ or what they did for those around them. That's the only distinction is their service to others. Now, without this service, he says, without speaking and serving and the strength that God provides for us, then Christ is telling us we aren't fit to call ourselves Christians. And that's tough to hear. But I, I want that to sink into the very essence of who you are this morning. I want that to sink into your bones. He's telling us that if we don't do these things, we cannot claim the name of Christ. Because service is who we are. It's our identity, our, our identity in Jesus. And service is our purpose. Service is our purpose. I have a, a, a friend that I talk to pretty regularly. I know y'all are so shocked I've got a friend that I talk to. Um, <laughs> but he's a Nazarene pastor out of, out of state, um, up, in, up in Missouri, and, and we just, we chat a lot, and, and he, he pastors a smaller congregation, and he, he'll call me sometimes with some, some frustrations that he has in his life or struggles um, in his ministry. And after a few months of really just struggling along and struggling to feel like, like he was living fully into his calling as a pastor there, um, one day he called me and he said that he had begun to felt, feel refreshed. Um, he, was, he was telling me that he had finally figured, he had finally felt like he figured it out. And what had happened is they had a family that had come into their church, um, and in a church where it seemed where they were always working against each other instead of with each other for the kingdom of God, and, and he was starting to feel really frustrated. But they had this family come in that had a lot of needs, and I, I won't go into a, a ton of specifics. But he said that he watched his church rally around this family that, needed all, that had all of these needs, and they were able to pr- provide for them. And, and he was telling me that... that Finally, he, fi- he thought he had figured out what his call to ministry to be. You see, a lot of the times it can feel like, like we're trying to make everybody happy, doesn't it, as, as Christians? Like, like our goal is just try to, try to mend fences and, and make sure that we're making everybody happy. Or sometimes, as Christians, we can feel like, like maybe we're supposed to just have it all figured out. We call ourselves Christians, and what that means is that we live this sinless life. We've got to have everything figured out. We feel really guilty if we ever accidentally m- messed up. And that's kind of what he was feeling. But he said he finally found 
found his purpose as a transformed child of God in filling and serving, filling the needs of this family that came into church. He found that his purpose was to love and to serve. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning because whatever you've gone through, and I don't know all the situations that are present here in the room this morning, but whatever you've gone through, whatever God has brought you out of, whatever you're going through right now and whatever God is going to bring you out of, he did it because he has a purpose for you. And that purpose is to serve others. That purpose, the reason that he brought you through those hard times, whatever it might be, the reason that he brought you through those things, the reason he's going to bring you through the things that you're going through right now is because he has a purpose and it is to help participate in the coming kingdom of God. And now I want to talk about the kingdom of God for just a minute this morning. And I want to go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you were here for the Bible study, you heard me preach six weeks on the kingdom of God. I talked about it a lot. It's something I think a lot about. Um, It excites me. I'm really passionate about preaching about the kingdom of God. And here's why. Uh, Here in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter gives this really interesting kind of, I, I, I kind of think it's a weird reason that we are to fill our lives with love and service and hospitality. And this is what he says. He says, the end of everything is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and clear-headed so you can pray. Now, Brother Jim used to say something. He pastored this church for 28 years. He used to say, when you see therefore in Scripture, you should always find out what it's there for. You remember him saying that over and over? And so, the therefore in Scripture is therefore what comes right before He says, therefore, be self-controlled and clear-headed so you can pray. And we can add, because the end of everything is near. That's what Peter says. That's his reason that we should be serving each other and we could be loving each other. Now, this letter was written in the first century. Most evidence tells us that St. Peter died in 86. Now, that's not 1986, that's not 1886, but that's the first 86. The 0086 is when Peter died. And so this letter was written in the first century, and 2,000 years ago, Peter thought that the end was near. And it turns out he may have been just a little off, just by a couple thousand years at the least, could be 3,000 years. But but what that does show us is that it shows us that Peter thought there was an urgency to what came after this scripture. He's saying that this service isn't something that's an option for us, but it is instead the foundation of who we are. There's an urgency. It's, it's almost like there's been a fire that has been lit under us because we, we have to do this. There, there is a reason that we are doing this, and Peter tells us it's urgent because the end is near. Service is preparing for the end. It's participating in the event that is the coming of God's kingdom. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, a lot of the time I think that we can, we can picture the kingdom of God as heaven alone. That we can picture it as maybe this far off place, that our, home, our home in the sky, that, that one day we'll be able to get there, but it's completely separate from earth. But I want to show you this passage of scripture from Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And this is talking about the end. This is an angel uh, proclaiming um, at the end. And, and he says this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of of our Lord and his Messiah. I'm going to read that read that one more time. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. And this is exciting. 
Because this means that the kingdom of God is not only completely separate as as what we think of as heaven. It's not just that. But if this verse is true, and I think that it probably is because it's found there in, in the Bible, then that means that we are living on and we are breathing the air of and we are walking on the dirt of the world that will one day become the fulfilled kingdom of God. That means that, y'all aren't nearly excited about that. All right, I'm going to say that one more time, that we are walking on what will become the kingdom of God. Isn't that exciting? Doesn't that excite you? That the Greenbrier that we see here today still has a lot left of work to be done in it, but it will one day become the perfect kingdom of God because it will be the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah that Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 tells us right there. And what that means for us as Christians today, as the church in the 21st century, as the church in Greenbrier, Arkansas, that means that our responsibility to serve becomes ever more important. If in the end, and Peter tells us the end is near, if in the end the world becomes the fulfilled kingdom of God, if Greenbrier can come, become the fulfilled kingdom of God, then we have a lot of work to do as Christians today because we're not there yet. But we have a job to prepare this place for that, to prepare the world, to prepare our communities for the day when they will become the fulfilled kingdom of God. And we do that through service. We do that through investing in the lives of others. We do that by bringing justice where there is injustice. By bringing food, Christ tells us, where there is hunger. And clothes where there is nakedness. Because in the kingdom of God, those things that Christ lists there, hunger and thirst and sickness and pain, there will be none of those things. And just as we have been completely transformed... Just as our lives have been completely transformed by the power that God has given us, we are called to help transform the lives of those around us and the places that are around us through service to the King. I'm going to say it one more time. We are saved to serve. But what do we do with that? I think that's the question that we have to ask ourselves today. What does that look like? How do we take this, our salvation for service, how do we take that and make it more than just events at church? Or we make it more than the, the special circumstances, the one or two times a year where we may, when we may volunteer um, in, in, a, in, a, in a shelter in Conway or something like that? How do we make it more than just those uh, little events? How can we take it into the workplace or the places where we go every day? I think that the goal for Christians in the 21st century shouldn't be to try to schedule as many service projects as we absolutely can pack into our already busy schedules. I don't think that we are called to go to extreme Mother Teresa measures to make this happen, but instead I think that this can just simply become our way of life. It can become a part of who we are. That means that we begin to just go a little bit out of our way to see how we can serve others. It means we open our eyes to the situations of the, of the people and the, and the places around us to where God is calling us to serve in that moment. It means that we truly become a loving and a moving part of our community. It means that we don't let ourselves become too busy or we don't let ourselves become too hesitant or we don't let ourselves become too scared to drop everything when someone around us needs something. 
And, and I know what you're thinking. I know that that sounds like it really is a lot of work. And, and it sounds, it really sounds like it's going to take uh, quite a bit of sacrifice. And you know what? That's because it is a lot of work. And it will require a bit of sacrifice. But I don't think that being a Christian means that we just have some insurance policy, that we don't go to the bad place when we die. But, but this passage from Matthew 25 that we've read here today shows us that if we treat Christianity that way, then we truly probably aren't Christians anyways. But instead, being a Christian is this partnership with God to do his work here on earth. Now, practical ways we can make that happen. It might look at like volunteering at some of the ministries in Conway, like the Conway Ministry Center or the Bethlehem House or the Soul Food Cafe, all of which we partner with. Or it could look like just inviting your neighbors over for dinner, being friendly, getting to know them and serving their family. It could look like reaching out to that person that you've had some rough times with and mending a broken relationship. There's lots of ways this morning, and I wish I could speak into everyone's life and tell you what God is is calling you into, but there's lots of ways that we can live into this salvation that we've been given the way that God intended us to to do. But I think that the best thing for us to do this morning is to talk to God about that and to ask God what his plan for us is. And I think we can start by asking him a very simple question. And that's this, have we been selfish with our salvation? Have we been selfish with our salvation? Have we let the transformation that we felt from Christ stay on the inside instead of leaking into the the outside, instead of becoming a part of who we are? You see, salvation isn't a selfish act. A lot of the times we can think, and and we've talked about this a little bit already, we can think like we go down to the altar and and we pray and we accept God's glorious gift of salvation and we can think, man, it feels so good. I'm I'm so excited about what has happened in my life that God has transformed. He's brought me away from these sins or whatever that may look like. And and it can stop there. But what God is calling us here to this morning is to take that to the next level. To take that into our lives wherever we may go. It's to let that salvation leak into our lives. And the altars will be open this morning if you feel like you should come forward and pray and ask God, God, have I been selfish with our salvation? Or if you have something on your heart and you would like to come down and pray with a friend or a family member about a situation or or something going on, or, or you would like to pray over the names here in our prayer chest, you're more than welcome to come. Or you can just sit there in your seat. But I want all of us to ask God this morning, have I been selfish with the gift that you have so graciously given me? And how can I release that into the world? As we pray this morning, we have a lot in our church that have had a pretty rough week in the last week. Um, Please continue to keep the Riggins family in your prayers. Um, John Riggins had surgery to remove cancer from his lungs on Monday morning, and they got some good news back from that. They're waiting on some results. But two days later, um, Jody's mom actually had to go in for a valve replacement, and so they've had a very they've had a long week with two, two major surgeries. Um, so so make sure to keep them in your prayers. Um, some of you may know by now, um, Terry Mock has taken a pretty bad turn. She is in Little Rock um, in the, at Baptist in the ICU, and she's developed an, a hole in her lung that is really struggling to heal. Um, they have her stabilized, um, but the, the doctors aren't able to make any promises to her um, or, or Barry yet. 
Um, so keep her in your prayers. Um, Linda Carter took a fall about a week ago and she broke her hip. She had to have a hip, hip replacement. And I know that she's healing from that. So keep Jim and Linda in your prayers. And then late Friday night, um, Miss Shirley Grant passed away unexpectedly. Um, so please keep her husband, Stephen, and their family in your prayers. Stephen is one of our ushers in the early service. So I know a lot of our second service people may not, may not know them very well. Um, but we are sure going to miss seeing Miss Shirley there every, every Sunday at 8.30. And I know Mr. Stephen would really appreciate your prayers um, for sure. So let's keep them all in our prayers and let's pray this morning. You're welcome to come. God, this morning we thank you so much for that gift of salvation. God, we, we thank you that, that it is your presence in our lives that cleanses that sin. God, that, that brings us through these difficult situations, God, that we know that we can rely on you for anything in our lives, God. That we can rely on you when situations get tough or when we're facing difficulties, God, and we can rely on your comfort and the peace that your grace and your mercy uh, bestows on us, God. But this morning, my prayer for our church, my prayer for, for me this morning, God, is that our salvation will not get lost in our selfishness. God, that we will take that gift that you've given us, Lord, and we will use it to better the communities that we are in today. God, I pray that you will enable us to make Greenbrier a better place. God, I pray that, that when this, this time that we've talked about comes, when, when the, your kingdom will be fully fulfilled, that you'll come to Greenbrier, Arkansas, and you will say, good job. I don't have a lot of work to do because you guys did a great job. God, I pray that, that, that we will be your hands and feet out here in the community, God. That we will be able to just, to just let you live through us, Lord. We pray that for this church. We pray that for this community. We pray that, I pray that for myself this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you will be with these families in our church that are hurting. Lord, that you'll be there with the Riggins as they continue to heal. And, and, and Miss Linda Carter as she heals from her hip surgery, God. And we pray for, for Miss Terry Mock as she is there in, in Baptist ICU, God, that, that, Lord, ultimately your will will be done, but, Lord, we do pray for healing this morning there. And that you will be present there with Barry, that your comforting presence will be there, that he will know um, that his church is behind him, that their church is behind them, God and that, that you have them in your arms. And God, I pray for Mr. Stephen and Miss Shirley's family uh, this morning, God, that you will also just pour out your mercy and your grace and your comfort on them as well, God, as they face this difficult week of mourning. Lord, we, once again, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us. And we pray once again that we will leave this place with your Holy Spirit filling every part of our being, God, so that we may be Jesus to the community that we are in. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.